guys. Welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, first of all, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. This podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but in bite-sized segments of time so that you can still live out your life, do the things that are important to you, spend time with people that are important to you. Um, and then you can still progress your career and help lots of people in the meantime. So today is the last in the series that we've been doing on cervical types of pain that are mentioned in the current concepts of orthopedic physical therapy. And so today's topic is on neck pain with headaches. And then I promise we'll leave spine for those of you who are a little tired of it um, and meander some other ways. But still super important to know, right? It's helpful to have these groups so that if you are seeing somebody and maybe they have a, a ton of stuff going on, ton of symptoms, um, you're able to better fit them into a category to where, you know, it's less overwhelming and you have good quality research to back up what kind of treatments to do. Patients with headaches are quite common in our cervical patients. So, there are different types of headaches, and we're not going to cover all the different types of headaches in this episode, but there is one type of headache that physical therapy is actually great for. It's called a cervicogenic headache. So with these patients uh, in this category, neck pain with headaches, we're talking about cervicogenic headache. Now, why do we need to treat this? Well, these patients are often misdiagnosed and not correctly treated Um and there are certain characteristics that go along with a patient with cervicogenic headaches. So these patients tend to deal with symptoms like a unilateral headache with neck or and or suboccipital area symptoms. It might be that their headache is aggravated with neck movements or certain positions that they hold their head in. Um, you may be able to reproduce the headache or aggravate it uh, if they already have it at baseline by provocating the ipsilateral posterior cervical myofascial and joints. Um, so basically like poking on it or moving it around. That's the fancy word for that. These patients might have restricted cervical range of motion and they might have restricted cervical segmental mobility, which would make sense um, as a cause for possibly why they have restricted cervical range of motion, right? They may even have abnormal substandard performance on the CCFT, which stands for cranial cervical flexion test. Of course, with these patients, make sure that you're screening out cervical instability and VBI. And we've already done episodes on those in the past. You can look below for reference on what episodes to listen to if you need a review. But when we're locking, we're looking at these symptoms, if we see these in our patients, we probably want to check it out if we're suspecting a patient might fit in this category, right? So if we're breaking it down, things that we might look at are like your active movement, um, their accessory motion, their muscle endurance, and special tests on things that might reproduce their headaches, right? So if we're going to start with active movement, the thing I want you to be aware of or reminded of is that often C1 on C2 is associated for patients with cervicogenic headaches. Now, the primary motion of C1 on 2 is rotation. Up to 50% of normal range of motion of cervical rotation happens here, 
below that, it's thought that each segment contributes maybe four to eight degrees of rotation um, from C2 on three all the way down to C6 on seven. So what this means that if you're looking at these patients, you're examining their active motion and we see rotation is limited and we see, wow, it's less than 45 degrees. So C1 on C2 contributes around 45 degrees. If the rotation is less than that, we probably need to look at what's going on on C1, C2, right? Now, if they have more rotation, we may need to differentiate between if there's a potential restriction between the upper cervical and the lower cervical spine as well. Because if they have more than 45 degrees of rotation, then the lower segments, we know they only contribute four to eight degrees at each segment, which means if they're stiff, you wouldn't see as much of a restriction, right? So hopefully that makes sense. Move your head around and nod yes if you're with me, nod no if you want to check out your rotation. Now, other things that you can assess as well, as I mentioned, their headache can be produced or aggravated with provocation of like the same side where that cervical myofascial tissue and the joints are. So there is a test that we can do called the CFRT, cranial flexion rotation test. Okay. It's pretty easy to remember the name if you remember how to do the test because the patient is in supine and then you flex the neck, aka cervical flexion, and the head to their maximum extent. And so basically you're giving them a huge double chin. And then while you're maintaining that position, make sure that you don't lose it because then you'll be doing the test incorrectly. You are going to passively rotate the patient's head each direction, hence the name cervical flexion rotation test. Now with this test, what we're trying to do is really isolate those upper cervical segments, right? By locking out the lower cervical segments. And then we're rotating and we're looking for a rotation around 45 degrees each way because we're assessing, hey, is C1 on 2 working the way we want it to? What you're looking for is if there's any pain and or resistance. So maybe they're actually restricted in one direction, um, which we would potentially expect unilateral symptoms if it's a unilateral headache, right? As I mentioned before, this is a a common factor with cervicogenic headaches. Or you're looking for a potential infeel that is empty, but you're, they're limited by pain because we are provocating all of the tissue in that area, right? Now, Ogens et al. described a positive test for the CFRT uh, as if their rotation is less than 32 degrees, then it's positive. And in PTs who are trained with this test, they found sensitivity to be 91% and specificity to be 90%. Obviously, depending on what studies you read, these numbers may vary a little bit, but we know that it is at least a good tool to use to not only assess upper cervical range of motion, um, segmental motion, but also a good test for cervicogenic headaches. Now, there are other ways that we can also assess the segmental motion, right? Now, if we're looking at C1, remember C1 is a little bit different shape than the other cervical uh, vertebrae, right? But you can do a unilateral PA on or posterior anterior force on the articular pillars of C1. And then on C2, 
You can do a central PA on the spinous process and unilateral PAs of the, the transverse process. And if you're poking on it, basically, fancy word, right? And we are reproducing their symptoms, well, we can feel pretty good about the fact that we're starting to narrow in on cervicogenic headaches. But that's not all. There's also strength and endurance tests that we can do for upper cervical musculature. There's the CCFT that I mentioned, the cranial cervical flexion test. And in this test, basically the patient's in supine or supine hook lying, and you use a pressure biofeedback cuff underneath their neck. What you do, you inflate it to 20 millimeters of mercury, and that's just so that you're basically taking away the space with the lordotic curve of their neck between that and the plinth or, or whatever surface the patient's on. And then the patient's told, hey, keep your head and your occiput still. What they're doing is they're trying to keep their posterior skull still while trying to perform cranial flexion in five increments of 22 millimeters of mercury, 24, 26, 28, and 30. So it goes up by two each time, right? We started at 20, we end at 30. Each position, it has to be held for 10 seconds and they get 10 seconds of rest in between. You're watching to make sure there's no sternocleidomastoid compensation, um, and if you're worried about them compensating with their platysma or hyoid, which you might have a hard time seeing this if your patients are still wearing masks, then you can have them put their tongue on the roof of their mouth with their lips together, teeth slightly apart. An abnormal test for this test would be if that patient is unable to generate an increase of at least six millimeters mercury, if they're unable to hold that position for 10 seconds, if they compensate with superficial muscles. And also, you might see this a few times in the clinic. I know I have. If they try and forcefully extend their neck backwards just to increase the pressure, that is not what we ask them to do, right? So they don't get credit for that. Um, now, there's another endurance test as well. It's a clever name, the neck flexor endurance test. And these patients are in the same position, but basically that patient is going to maximally retract their chin and lift their head one inch off of the plinth. They're trying to hold it as long as they can. And that's it. That's basically what we're looking for. You're making sure um, the test is described where the therapist's hand is underneath the base between the patient's head and the mat to make sure that their head doesn't drop down. And then you can also look at the skin folds on the side of your patient's neck to see if they are moving apart. Some people will even draw like a little marker on them. Um, I don't really because not all my patients appreciate the additional artwork when they leave the clinic for their errands after that, but um, I'm going to leave that up to you. Now, the mean time, according to a study with Harris et al., was 38.95 seconds without neck pain and with who did have neck pain, 24.1 seconds. So obviously a big difference right there, right? But you'll see multiple studies out there with different times as well. Like there's another one by Dominic et al. where they did comparisons with patients who don't have neck pain for muscle endurance time between men and women. And men were found to be able to hold it almost 10 seconds longer than women. So some factors to keep in mind when you are looking at um, demographics, they didn't really find a huge difference with age. Um, now, in terms of treatment, 
essentially, we just named off a lot of impairments, right? Those impairments are often centered around upper cervical regions being aggravated, um, not moving well, recreating symptoms around the head, causing headache because they're not moving well. So how do we get to the source of the problem? By allowing it to move well and then working on the strength and endurance of the tissues in that area. So we've already talked about manual techniques briefly in the last episode, but the important thing here to remember is that this is an upper cervical restriction often. So you need to make sure that your manual is for upper cervical mobility, right? Whether that's muscle energy techniques or um, manipulations, if it is called for, um, or giving the patient specific mobility exercises that help address that. But we don't want to just do manual with patients. We want to follow it up with uh, strengthening, endurance, coordination, things like that. And patients often respond well to a lot of these tests, like, for example, the CCFT and the neck endurance tests. Why not incorporate that into a treatment, right? As well as using your clinical eye to see what other factors are playing a part. So that is it. That is neck pain with headaches. We get to move on from the cervical region for a little bit. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like the show, be sure and leave a positive review on wherever you you listen. There's an option on Spotify. There's an option on Apple. Uh, it just really helps me out. Or if you like it and you know someone who'd benefit from it, they're studying for something or they just are a PT and want to get a little better, let them know about it. If you have questions, you can reach out to me at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at PT underscore snacks. I love hearing from you guys. And if you have requests for future episodes, definitely let me know um, because the whole point is for this to be concise but helpful. So if you want to take a deeper dive, be sure do that. This is this is surface level stuff, right? Um, another thing too, if you're liking the show, you want to support, there's a link below for buy me a coffee that just helps me to continue to put out free content for you guys. And then also, if you need some CEUs, go check out MedBridge. Um, I use them myself every day, but it's it's basically online CEUs, like thousands of options. I'm not even kidding. Or if you're trying to study for like your OCS or SES, some sort of certification prep, they have specialized programs you can go through with uh, multiple choice questions, things like that. Um, I found it to be helpful. And they also even have an option where you can get a patient exercise program where let's say you're treating a patient and you're like, oh, I wish I had videos and pictures I can send home with my patients. Well, you can do that on their premium subscription where it comes with videos. You can personalize their reps and that scheme. There's a free app that's associated with it or you can just print it off for them um, and then kind of go from there. But Use the promo code PT Snacks Podcast if you want 40% off, which is a pretty sizable discount for an annual subscription. All right. Well, that's it for today, guys. And I hope that your November is coming off to a great start. We're almost upon holiday season. Um, I am super excited for it. And we will just keep going from there. <laughs> <laughs>